0: have you guys ever do you care if I bring some Zima on? Yes, I care if you bring Zima. Zima doesn't count. Zima. Oh. Zima's. Dr. Dongo. Anyway, join us every Saturday for a podcast that delves into the craft brew world. The following is a Journey to Comics Network production. <laughs> From the suburbs of Chicago and Illinois, this is The Poor Report with your host, Andrew Poor. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Poor Report. I am Andrew Poor, and I want to thank you for joining me here today. Now, this week's going to be a little bit different because there'll be two episodes of The Poor dropping. So this episode could be 38, it could be 39. I'm not really sure what order it's going to fall in. So one of the episodes will be my normal routine, which is an episode covering the late breaking news. And the other one will be probably my final uh, profile uh, that kind of kicked off with Barbara Bush at the the time of her unfortunate passing. And it's going to end with... My profile on the inventor Nikolai Tesla. So, those are what I'm going to be talking about on this week's two episodes. So we're going to actually get uh, a double dose of the Pore So, hopefully, you're ready for that. And then moving forward with episode 40, which will drop next week. I'm definitely not going to leave you hanging. Giving you two episodes at once doesn't mean I'm not going to give you one next week. So, uh, next week on 40, we're going to be talking about just the normal news, just getting back in the normal swing of things and getting things set up for 50, which is doesn't seem that far off. It, it'll probably fall at the end of the summer, but definitely looking forward to that and I have some things in the work and maybe there'll be some guests on the show that will be aiding to our talk and maybe there'll be some fun stuff going on there. So definitely stay tuned for that. But I wanted to jump right into the news for today. And one of those involves the tragedy that happened on Friday at a Texas high school. I have two articles today that I want to talk to you about that. Um, It was in a Santa Fe high school uh, in in Santa Fe, Texas. Um, So uh, here's an article from the Washington Post. Uh, This time it happened during first period. The day after a student went on a shooting rampage at a Texas high school, a Houston area community grappled with a horrific reality that has unfolded in so many other places across the nation. On Friday morning, a 17-year-old student armed with a shotgun and a pistol stormed Santa Fe High School about 30 miles southeast of Houston and opened fire in an art class. The gunman killed 10 people and wounded at least 10 others, including a school resource officer who was left in critical condition. Police said, before surrendering to the officers who confronted him. Of those killed, eight were students and two were teachers. Santa Fe Independent School District Superintendent uh, Leah Wall said in a letter to parents, Our community has suffered a terrible tragedy. We are feeling we are all feeling the overwhelming grief of this horrific event. Late Saturday afternoon officials identified those killed as teachers Glenda Perkins and Cynthia Tisdale, and students Jared Black, Shayna Fisher, Christian Riley Garcia, Aaron Kyle, McLeod, Angelique Ramirez, Sabika Sheik. Christopher Jake Stone and Kimberly Vaughn. Santa Fe High School became the latest scene of carnage in what has become a national epidemic of mass shootings. For the second time in the past three months, the victims were children and their teachers. The tragedy prompted an outpouring of grief and outrage, a candlelit vigil, statements of sympathy and anger from elected officials, heartrending posts from relatives of the deceased, as well as for some a quiet resignation that is previously unthinkable had morphed into an inevitability. It's been happening everywhere one Santa Fe student Paige Curry said with a shrug after the shooting I've always felt of I've, I've always kind of felt like eventually it was going to happen here too and that sorry I'm gonna kind of jump out of the article there that sentence the fact that she said it so matter of factly like there was. Yeah, it happened there. It's probably going to happen here, too. Like, that shouldn't be something that should be ever be in a kid's head. No kid should be going to school thinking, today's the day I could be shot and killed by some deranged person with a gun or with a weapon or someone who's out there to do harm and be, get infamous. It's just ridiculous. Like, no kid, like, people shouldn't be afraid to send their sins to school to, in fear that this is eventuality. Like, we need this to stop and all the ways to do it. Um, back in the article, as famous as uh, Santa Fe, it happened with less than two weeks to go before the end of the school year. Isabel Lehmann's 15 was an art class drawing geometric shapes when she heard gunshots Friday morning. She froze for a moment. Then she ran to a back door leading to a patio, but it was locked. She and seven other students barricaded themselves in a supply closet that had connected to art classrooms. She lay on the floor and called the police. Then called her mother, whispering, "I love you," while holding a friend's hand. They shushed each other, hoping to avoid detection. The trench coat, gla- the trench coat-clad gunman. Police identified the suspect as a student. Came. I'm not going to say his name. It's what they want. It's not worth it to say it on this show. Came into the first classroom and began shooting. He knew students were hiding in the supply closet. Isabel said. He said surprise, then he started shooting, and he killed one or two people, he shot a girl in the leg. In the closet, he shot through the window. She said, we blocked the door with ceramic makers, and he kept on trying to get in, and he kept on shooting inside the closet. She called police three times over the course of 30 terrifying minutes. A police dispatcher told her to be quiet and assured her that help was on the way. The gunman kept shooting, cursing, and yelling. He shot a police officer approached, then engaged other officers in discussion, offering to surrender. He kept saying, if I come out, don't shoot me. They didn't shoot him. They just put him in handcuffs, she said. Uh, Students described the shooter as a quiet loner is being held without bond at the Galveston County Jail, charged with capital murder and aggravated assault on a peace officer. It was unclear what motivated the attack. As story says it came without any obvious warning, which seems to be how it's. What all happens. It's always someone who's quiet, reserved, and then all it takes is one bad day for them to snap and decide to take other people's lives and take them away from them. Uh, the student made his first court appearance Friday evening, a little more than 10 hours after the massacre. He spoke quietly saying, yes, sir, when asked if he wanted a court-appointed attorney. After the brief hearing, the student was led away. Police said the student gave a statement admitting responsibility for the shooting. According to a probable cause affidavit filed in court, they said the student told police that he went into the school wearing a trench coat and wielding two guns, intent on killing people. The affidavit states that the 17-year-old told police that he did not shoot students he did like so he could have his story cold, which is just messed up. The the two guns used in the shooting belonged to the student's father, according to Governor Greg Abbott, who said it was unclear if the father knew his son had taken them. Unlike many other mass shootings carried out with high powered rifles, such as the AR-15, this one, authorities said, included relatively common weapons. Police said they also found ex- explosive device inside the school and at locations off campus. Authorities said they were also scrutinizing two other potential suspects in the shooting Harris County Sheriff Ed Gonzalez said officials questioned another student described as a person of interest. Abbott said police had hoped to speak with a third person who could have certain information, though he did not elaborate. As families mourn, stories of the victims have begun to emerge. The embassy of Pakistan confirmed Friday evening that uh, Sheik, a Pakistani exchange student, was killed in the attack. Our thoughts and prayers are with the uh, Sabika's family and friends. Ambassador Aziz Ahmad uh, Chaudhry said in a statement. Another exchange student, uh, Syed Zaman Hader, said Sabika was from Karachi City and was studying through the Kennedy-Lugar Youth Exchange and Study Program funded by the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs. A spokesperson for the Bureau did not immediately respond to a message-seeking comment. Hader said Sheik was about to return home. The academic year was ending, so she was almost done with her cultural exchange. Tisdale, 63, was a substitute teacher at Santa Fe High School. She worked at the school frequently, her son, Reese Tisdale, said. She started substitute teaching because she loved to help children. She didn't have to do it, she did it because she loved it. Uh, Reese Tisdale is a police detective in nearby League City. His mother lived in neighboring Dickinson with her husband of nearly 47 years, William Tisdale. The couple had three children and 11 grandchildren. William Tisdale said his wife had also been a paralegal for 22 years. She was a good woman, he said. Uh, she watched out for me. Less than two weeks ago, Garcia, 15, had posed amid what appeared to be a house undergoing construction. Next to scripture, he had scrawled on the, on the doorframe for what would be his new bedroom, according to the church. On Friday, he was killed in the attack, the church confirmed. Ramirez, another Santa Fe student who was gunned down in the shooting, was remembered as a kind, compassionate, and caring teenager with a contagious smile. A family friend wrote in a GoFundMe set up for Angelique's family. Stone, 17, was also killed in the attack. His family confirmed to the Washington Post. A versatile football player, Chris also delighted in video games, hiking, jet skiing, parasailing, and zip lining. Though was the youngest of three siblings, the trio known as the Three Stones, Chris protected his two older siblings with the ferocity of an older brother. Mercedes Stone, one of his sisters, said in a Facebook message. He had a lot of heart, she said. Being a brother was his best job. He was always there if someone needed someone to listen or someone cheering up. Definitely the life of the party and one of the most understanding, open-minded kids I know. Chris had just attended his junior prom a week ago, she added. Three officers responded to the attack, officials said. The first to confront the shooter was school safety officer John Barnes, a retired Houston police officer who, according to a former colleague, Houston Police Captain Jim Dale, joined the Santa Fe Independent School District Police Force because he wanted a less stressful job. Barnes was shot in both arms, Dale said. A second Santa Fe ISD officer arrived, pulled Barnes to safety, and applied a tourniquet. A third officer, a state trooper, also engaged the gunman. Barnes was taken by helicopter to the trauma center at the University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston, where he was in danger of bleeding out when he arrived. Chief Medical Officer Gulshan Sharma told reporters Dale said many officers descended upon the hospital to show their support, and the family is in good spirits after hearing from the doctors that Barnes' injuries probably were not fatal. Officials have not yet provided a timeline showing how long it took to respond to the active shooter emergency calls, nor have they disclosed many details about their interactions with the shooter. At a news conference Saturday, Santa Fe ISD Police Chief Walter Braun deferred many questions about the shooting to the FBI, which he said was leading the investigation. Police have been busy individually escorting Santa Fe students back on campus Saturday so they could retrieve cars and belongings that they had left behind as they fled school Friday. Our officers have been very, very resilient, Braun told reporters. I don't think it's really sunken yet as to allowing the emotions to take control. Santa Fe High School, home of the Indians, had won a statewide award for its safety program. As ominous precursor to Friday's shooting, the school had experienced a false alarm about an active shooter in February, an event that attracted a mass emergency response and the chaotic arrival of fearful parents. Many of the 14 arts students had staged a walkout April 20th as a part of a nationwide school shooting protest, part of a grassroots campaign. The grassroots movement among young Americans in the wake of the February massacre of 17 students and staffers at Majorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. One sign carried by Santa Fe students during their April protest was hashtag never again. Four Fridays later, their school was attacked. Uh, Gage Slaughter, 17, said he was sitting in his advanced placement history class when the shooting started when he heard the gunshots. He thought, as is so often the case in mass shootings, that it was just firecrackers. Someone pulled a fire alarm, he said, and everyone went outside. Then it goes, some teachers told the students to start running. There were people who were starting to cry, he said. I don't know what was going on until I was down there a little ways and I heard one of the teachers saying it was a school shooter. In the hours that followed, heavily armed officers and tactical gear surrounded the school. authorities said they found explosives in the high school and in surrounding areas and put out warnings on social media for people to avoid touching anything unfamiliar. Parents picking up their children early from other schools in the area when they were in horror for their, what had come to their community. I just need to cuddle my baby girls," said Catherine Lindsay, a parent who lives nearby, and said she could hear the rescue helicopters from her home. Ever since Parkland, I've had to tell my third child to not be a hero, to hide, to stay safe with a teacher. So when this happens because she's the type who would try and talk the shooter down. This was the 16th school shooting so far this year, according to the Washington Post analysts. That's the highest number at this point in any year since 1999 the year of the Columbine High School Massacre. The post analysis found that since 1999, shootings during school hours have killed at least 141 children, educators, and other people, with another 284 injured. Among the injured was, was sophomore Rome Schubert, a pitcher on the school's baseball team, said so the bull grazed his head. I was so grateful and blessed that God spared my life today, Schubert wrote in a tweet. Today I was shot in the back of the head, but I am completely okay and stable. On Friday night, students gathered at a vigil here wearing T-shirts made after Hurricane Harvey that said that read Texas tough on the back. Indians got your back. The shooting immediately drew condemnation nationwide. President Trump quickly declared the Texas shooting or decreed decried. Um, this has been going on too long in our country. Too many years, too many decades now. Trump said in Washington, we grieve for the terrible loss of life and send our support and love to everyone affected by this absolutely horrific attack. And Santa Fe, Senator Ted Cruz said, once again, Texas has seen the face of evil. Late Friday, Houston Texans football star J.J. Watt offered to personally cover funeral costs for all the victims from the Santa Fe shooting. In a fiery Facebook post, Houston police cheat Art Acevedo wrote of his frustration over the lack of action on gun control legislation. After spending the day shedding tears of sadness, pain, and anger. I know some have strong feelings about gun rights, but I want you to know that I've hit rock bottom and I'm not interested in your views that it pertains to this issue. Uh, Acevedo wrote, uh, people... Please do not post anything about guns aren't the problem and that there's little we can do. I will continue to speak up and will stand for what my heart and my God commands me to do. And I assure you, he has instructed me to believe that gun rights are bestowed by him. In his jail booking photo, the student wore, uh, wore a blank expression as if bored. On a Facebook page, uh, the student had posted a photograph of a T-shirt saying, Born to Kill. The governor said during a Friday news conference, but Abbott said the subject did not have a criminal record or show signs of being violent. So in the case, there aren't the kind of red flags seen in other mass shootings, such as the one last year at a church in Sutherland Springs, Texas, or in the one in Parkland. On Saturday, the fa- the... The shooter's family statement saying it was shocked and confused by what happened and the incident seemed incompatible with the boy we love. Uh, the student had been a member of Santa Fe's junior varsity football team and had spent a lot of time in the weight room to get stronger, a teammate said. He worked hard. He even got stronger than me. Uh, Ray Montemayor, 18, told the Post. He would joke around, was also quiet, not an open book. Several teams been, had been caught in the shooting, Montemayor said Saturday as he held up a photo of the football team from 2016. Among those were his Stone, who died, and at least two other football players who had been injured. It's unclear Saturday if the gunman targeted certain students. The suspect documented his thoughts on his computer and cell phone, and the writings revealed not only that he intended to commit the shooting, but also planned to commit suicide, the governor said. He said the shooter didn't have the courage to follow through on the suicide. Experts on mass shootings note that the killers studied their predecessors, copied their moves, and even their uh, fashion choices. The shooter at Santa Fe High appeared to copy elements of the Columbine Massacre, a black trench coat, a shotgun, and explosives. More than 30 shooters have copied the Columbine killers and mid they have done so, according to Adam Lankford, a a criminology professor at the University of Alabama. This seems like actually a more extreme version because all of the different elements, they should to be copied from clothing to weapons and modus operandi in terms of planting bombs. Langford said as a form of celebrity worship, Uh these celebrities in the case are celebrity killers, the Columbine killers. Abbott said that he would convene a round table of experts, to discuss ways to stave off another school shooting, including speeding up background checks on gun buyers, putting more money into mental health treatment and adding security personnel. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick said, Infrastructure is a problem. Schools have too many entrances and exits and need to be retrofitted. We may need to harden our schools and make them safer, Patrick said. Cable news and social media were dominated Friday by painfully familiar images of students being led out of the school by armed officers. Survivors of the Parkland Massacre and their relatives, many of whom have become outspoken advocates for stronger gun control laws, publicly offered support to the Santa Fe community and sent angry messages to politicians who have not acted to avert such massacres this is just another in a long line of tragedy and it it's hard to not almost become desensitized to this i mean you remember just a few episodes back when i was talking about what happened in parkland and now just a few a few months later here we are again and it doesn't even stop you in your tracks anymore you'll hear it happen and you're like oh my god but then you'll just go back to what you were doing before like it Things like this used to stop you in your tracks and you'd sit there watching the news for the rest of the day and now it becomes a second nature as you see it on Facebook or Twitter and you just keep scrolling. Like it's awful that it's become commonplace and it's become something that's something that like the article said something that is expected, something like it's happened everywhere else. It not surprised that it's happened here too. Like it's it's awful and my heart goes out to the families of those lost in the school and the community that's reeling from this tragedy. And I hope that some of this doesn't happen again, but it probably will. Like, I don't know what we can do to stop it. It seems that people are very much set in their ways and any viable change is too hard to come by, but I hope we find a solution soon. I think there's a lot of options and, we can get into the whole gun control debate again, but I just, I want to be done talking about this. I want this to become history and not current events. So we'll just have to see where this goes from the f- in the future. And try my best to kind of change from what article the next, um, for this segment is, um, some that actually came out uh, over the weekend, and that Trump vows to order probe into FBI spy. Uh, this is an article from the Daily Beast. Uh, president Trump plans to order the Justice Department to open an investigative investigation into the unnamed FBI informant whom he believes infiltrated his presidential campaign as a part of the Russian investigation. In a Sunday afternoon tweet, the president said he wants an examination of whether or not the FBI, the DOJ, infiltrated or sort of Veiled the Trump campaign for political purposes And if any such demands or requests Were made by people within the Obama administration Trump and his Republican allies Have pushed the Justice Department to release documents Containing details on the unnamed FBI informant in recent days The Justice Department officials have pushed back Saying such a move could put lives at risk Trump cries of foul play over the supposed Spy who officials had said Contacted Trump aides only after Suspicious rush related evidence had Already emerged about them it was largely seen by Democrats as a way to undermine the ongoing Russia investigation. Later Sunday, the Justice Department announced that it would ask the inspector general to expand its review to include determining whether there was any impropriety or political motivation in how the FBI conducted its counterintelligence investigation. Uh, into suspected individuals involved in Russian interference. Uh, Trump's tweet from today said, I hear my demand and will do so officially tomorrow that the Department of Justice look into whether or not the FBI slash DOJ infiltrators surveyed the Trump campaign political purposes and if such demands or requests were made by people within the Obama administration. Exclamation point. Uh, so that's fun. And there's, I guess, there's um, a few bullet points in here. So that was number one. Uh, number two is Roger Stone prepared to be indicted in Butler uh, probe. Uh, Trump ally Roger Stone on Sunday said, Um, He was prepared to be indicted if special counsel Robert Mueller uh, filed charges against him in the Russian investigation. It is not inconceivable now that Mr. Mueller and his team may seek to conjure up some extraneous crime pertaining to my business or maybe not even pertaining to the 2016 election, Stone said on NBC's Meet the Press. I would chalk this up to an effort to silence me, he said, describing the probe as an effort to silence our or punish the president's supporters and his advocates. He expressed certainty... That investigators had uncovered no evidence whatsoever of Russian collusion, saying that they may try to tie him to other crimes instead, while the Republican operatives said several of his associates have been terrorized by Mueller's investigation. He said neither he nor his lawyer have been contacted yet. Uh, moving to number three, um, Giuliani Mueller investigation will end by September 1st. White House lawyer Rudy Giuliani told the New York Times that special counsel Robert Mueller plans to finish his probe into whether President Trump obstructed the Russia inquiry. By September 1st, Julian said that the date would be contingent on the president agreeing to be interviewed by Mueller as the White House and special counsel's office go further into their interview negotiations. The Times report that he claimed that the investigation running any longer than that would risk improperly influencing voters in midterm elections in November and also serve as a distraction for Trump. Because we know we definitely want to distract Trump, that's for sure. Uh, And moving on from, I guess, internal uh, wireless workings to external, that is that the U.S. and China halt imposing import tariffs. As you know, on earlier episode, I've talked about the tariffs that Trump was doing against China to try and balance out a trade deficit, as so what he said. So China and the U.S. say they will halt imposing punitive import tariffs, putting a possible trade war on hold. The deal came after talks in the U.S. aimed at persuading China to buy 200 billion of U.S. goods and services and thereby reducing the trade imbalance. U.S. Treasury Secretary Steve Munchen did not give figures, but he said that he said the U.S. would impose tariffs worth 150 billion of China did not implement the agreement. China g's vice premier Liu he described the deal as a win-win choice he said dialogue was the way to resolve such issues and treat them calmly in the future how did the prospect of a trade war come so close the u.s had a 335 billion annual trade deficit with beijing before being elected president Donald trump had spoken of china raping the u.s and promising to label it a currency manipulator on his first day in office that's not happened but he ordered a review of the trade imbalance last august I found a range of unfair practices in China, including restrictions on foreign ownerships that pressured foreign companies into transferring technology, unfair terms of, on U.S. company, Chinese investments in U.S. strategic industries, and Chinese cyber attacks. In March this year, Mr. Trump announced plans to impose tariffs on Chinese imports, mainly steel and aluminum. Beijing threatened equal retaliation, including tariffs on a number of U.S. imports, among them aircraft, soybeans, cars, pork, wine, fruits, and nuts. Is that threat now over? Two days of talks ended in Washington, D.C. on Friday with a framework agreement. Mr. Munchen told Fox News on Sunday that China would buy more U.S. goods to substantially reduce the trade deficit. Concrete numbers had been agreed. He said, although he refused to disclose, if this meant China was buying $200 billion in return for the U.S. threat to be lifted, U.S. Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross would travel to China soon, he said, to work on details which would involve industries, not just the two governments. We're putting the trade war on hold right now. We have agreed to put the tariffs on hold while we try to execute the framework of the agreement Mr. Munchen said, but he warned the failure to implement it would result in the imposition of the threatened U.S. tariffs. Is China happy to? The Chinese Vice Premier, Mr. Laird, said his visit to the U.S. had been positive, pragmatic, constructive, and productive, which I guess is what you want out of a meeting on trade between two very powerful countries. He described a healthy development of China-U.S. economic and trade rela- re- uh, relations, which would result in enhanced cooperations in areas such as energy, agricultural products, healthcare, high-tech products, and finance. Such cooperation is a win-win choice as it can promote the high-quality development of the Chinese economy, meet the people's needs, and contribute to the U.S. effort to reduce its trade deficit, he added. Mr. Munchen said the new framework agreement includes structural changes to Chinese economy to enable fair competition for U.S. companies but this would take time China's vice premier said. Perhaps most of that he said the two countries should properly handle their differences through dialogue and treat them calmly in the future. I definitely hope this works out because once you get into a trade war, it just means higher price products for us, the consumers, which can really cause problems. And if I'm paying 40% more for a product that I normally buy, I may just stop buying that product and Probably other people will be of that same mind, and they would just cause further problems. So hopefully this gets resolved, and everyone it's a win win for both countries. And now to, it's my last article involving Trump, which is my second last article I'm going to be talking about today. And that's how it involves a political article about how Trump changed everything for the Onion. The comedy website has had to develop new strategies and new characters for a president who often defies satire. And there's a picture in the article that looks like Trump's making a pouty face, which was kind of entertaining. A lot has changed since 2013 when the editors of The Onion got an angry email from Donald Trump's lawyer, Michael Cohen. Back then, Cohen was an executive vice president at the Trump organization, and his client was just a TV mogul still years away from announcing his first serious presidential bid. Cohen was fuming over a satirical article published under Trump's name with the headline, When you're feeling low, just remember, I'll be dead in about 15 or 20 years. On Trump's behalf, Cohen demanded that the onion immediately remove the article and apologize. This commentary goes way beyond defamation. It's not If it's not immediately removed, I will take all actions necessary to ensure your actions not go without consequence, Cohen wrote, according to a copy of the email provided to Politico, guide yourself accordingly. Five years later, Trump is in the White House, Cohen is under federal investigation, the article is still on The Onion's website, which many West Wing staffers begrudgingly admit to occasionally reading. But lampooning Trump, whose behavior often defies satire, hasn't always been easy, according to the editor-in-chief, Chad Knackers, who, in his two decades at The Onion, has covered Presidents Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Barack Obama, as well as Trump. As The Onion tries to find its footing in the Trump area, its writers have increasingly focused on the people around the president. Vice President Mike Pence is often depicted as a repressed religious fanatic who, in one memorable article, refused to be alone with a bottle of Mrs. Butterworth's maple syrup until his wife arrived. Eric Trump and Donald Trump Jr., known as the Trump boys in The Onion's lexicon, are cast as bumbling simpletons whose misadventures from setting up their own makeshift law firm in the White House electrical room to interrupting an intelligence briefing with sofa cushions duct taped to their bodies are the closest thing to the site's widely successful mockery of former Vice President Joe Biden. Knacker said he and his staff haven't heard from anybody in the Trump administration about their coverage. The former press secretary, Sean Spicer, once retweeted an interview claiming that his role in the Trump administration will be to provide the American public with robust and clearly articulated misinformation. In an interview with Political, Knackers has explained the onion's approach to satiring Trump administration. Here's a lightly edited transcript. Politico, I'm interested in getting a sense of your process, particularly in the politics related articles that you do and how that's changed since Trump took over. Knackers, this is my fourth different administration that I've covered, starting with Clinton. I started in 1997. Each one has been a little different. Clinton felt like things were good in the country, the economy was really robust. They're more of a playful fun of Clinton for various things. And then Bush ushered in the scary era with 9-11 and the Iraq war. That's when the onions started getting a little bit harder satirically. I think Obama presented a whole different thing. When Obama started, we did a lot of articles about the time publishing the definitive puff piece about Obama. So while we may have been excited about the first black president, it also seemed like it was all kid gloves for the first six months. It's interesting because that just completely disappeared. And you're like, oh, that's not happening anymore. Trump poses definitely an interesting challenge, and it goes pretty deep. We're so divided in this country politically right now that I felt like people can be very dismissive if they think you're going to do a joke that's critical of Trump. They'll be like, that's not funny. That's no good. On the other hand, I think overly left-leaning people can be too on board with anything someone says, not even an onion thing. They'll believe anything as long as it's hammering Trump. Obama is more of a traditional president as far as his decorum and even his preparation and policy. He was like a pretty organized guy. You kind of, you leap off that. And so things can be more surreal and absurd when you're making fun of him. Whereas Trump is kind of starting from this point of already being kind of absurd. Politico, do you feel like it's harder to be funny now? Knackers, when I started, there weren't really too many humor sites. There definitely weren't any humor news sites. A lot of times nobody else was going to to get their comment out as fast as we're going to get it. If. To get it out by virtue of us having a website. Now it all seems like on Twitter, there are people who are professional comedians who are online all day. A story breaks and they're making jokes about it. So I think that's just definitely makes things a little more challenging. In the environment that we're in, when everything is so fiercely divided, that it's also a bit problematic. So nice for us, it's nice to cover things that aren't just completely political so that we can have some fun and it might not matter what your ideology is. Politico, how much of what you do now is also a critique of the way the mainstream traditional press does its job? Knackers, that's, pr- that's been pretty good for us. I did an article about white supremacists being exhausted from doing all these interviews all day with the New York Times. I feel like that stuff had worked out pretty well, and it's good to critique the, that traditional style, or we'll do Project Veritas in a roundabout way and saying that we'd also interviewed the same person that the Washington Post had pointed out. That was just an actor, and we definitely have proof. That's what because we played Up the Onion's character of being the greatest journalism in the world with the most integrity, while clearly being wrong, which is a fun message to, to be saying there. In your own words, what is your uh, criticism of the way the mainstream press is covering the White House now? Now, because I think it's sometimes it's so self-serious. It has been a different stage. The first few months of the Trump administration, it just felt like people were, took every single thing he said so seriously. And it's like, really, even if they're not funny, their tongue-in-cheek arguments where he's literally trying to troll people. I think the press goes running off the wrong direction. Look what he's doing. Look what he's doing. And you make a huge deal of what he says, and it's missing the point of everything. In a way, they're doing exactly what he wants, freaking out about nothing. And that's what's been happening a lot in this country. They're freaking out about small things. They're not listening to each other and realizing that a lot of things that people tend to disagree with but aren't that far apart, and it gets caught up in being really emotional. For instance, he said this thing a couple months ago about having a president for life when china had done that and it's like obviously he's not being serious there are a lot of articles written about that and you're just wasting people's time with that and that is true personally in outside of this article that we don't to get so worked about a random comment or tweet or post and we just run and get too overly emotional about it and sometimes you just gotta let the little things go and realize there's bigger things to stress about uh back to the article, uh, Politico. And there's a drive for traffic that comes with it. You guys have touched on that a little bit as well. Some of this biz- is a business model to take everything he says and write a headline about Trump saying some zany thing and get all the clicks that comes along with it. Knackers, exactly. Take a place like CNN. I thought they were doing it even before Trump was elected, before he was running, they would put out articles and it would feel like it's the most clickbait article I've ever seen. They've been shouting about how Mueller is going to be fired for months upon months. Everybody seems to use fear to drive people to donate money or read articles or watch videos, and that part, it's definitely kind of sickening. I completely understand how it's harder and harder to get a pair of eyes on content these days because there's so much stuff and people are bombarded with different things, but it does seem like people just freak out a lot. On both sides of the aisle? Absolutely. Politico. Resistance hole, the new site you've put together, it seems like that's what it's about yeah click hole had been i'd already been covering the other side of it so it seems really natural in a way it almost feels like the resistance stuff is even more fun to make fun of politico why is that they're just so self-serious there's a lot of times when you disagree and people say you're a russian you're bought off by the russian and it's like come on for people who feel like this this is a serious thing and there are huge repercussions for all the rush stuff you're doing a disservice to what you're supposedly fighting for by just blindly attacking And it kind of lends credence to saying it's a witch hunt. I've seen people literally do a witch hunt on powerless people and attack them. It's kind of crazy that people are doing that or that they want to immediately take away someone's First Amendment rights and say you can't speak. Like conservatives who want to speak on college campuses makes no sense to me. Like people said, don't make them into martyrs who aren't allowed to speak. And then their message is amplified. They're going to drop people if they become proponents of the First Amendment versus whatever message you disagreed with. It's a very dangerous situation. The first one is a very important to all journalists, and that's something I've always been appreciative with The Onion. That is, America, you feel very protected, and you can comment on things. So it scares me when, regardless of the political group, when people start saying, well, this person shouldn't be allowed to say anything, because that's a pretty slippery slope. Definitely agree there. Uh, politically, it does not It does seem like you focus on the people around Trump, the sons and the staff. So it easier to satire those people than to satirize Trump himself, who is already such a surreal character? Uh, knackers. Yeah, I think this, that strategy is something we've used a lot. We did it when talking about his supporters during the election. It was easier to make jokes about things in that realm than to directly make a joke about Trump. It is pretty useful. The other challenges about this administration is that so many of their policies and things, like for the EPA, they almost feel like satire. Regarding everything that would protect the environment or make it easier for people to pollute, that's kind of thing you would would in the past joke about. I think... We had articles years ago that said something like EPA, rivers aren't supposed to smell like shit and you can't really do that kind of joke now because that's not really where their focus is. It goes throughout the Department of Interior who used to do a lot of jokes about various things. Laying off animals and stuff like that, it's not quite as relevant now because they're not functioning at a normal level. But I think Trump surrogates are a little bit easier. We had an article that they were just going to have an ongoing going-away parties. There was an about how the nation didn't think it would could re all the former Trump employees that one we ran originally. And then four or five months later, we updated it and added all the other pictures of the people who have left. And we're probably ready to do another one soon. I think it's weird how the repetition of things becomes increasingly relevant as the cycles keep happening over and over in the administration. And this is just a really long, uh, uh, interview. I think I'm going to kind of wrap it up here. <laughs> Let's say I can talk for another 10 minutes just on this interview. And I think you got to get the point, uh, Trump is such a surreal person, and the way he talks, it's hard to make jokes about it or to satirize it the way The Onion does. And that's really all the Trump news I can talk about today, but the last little bit I want to talk about is something a little bit more closer to home for me, and that is uh, about the TV shows that were canceled in 2018, uh, 10 that were heartbreakers, and 13 that we won't miss. Uh, I know one on the list is something that I've really enjoyed the show, and it's kind of sad, but luckily, two shows that... I thought we were going to get canceled, which was Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and The Blacklist didn't get canceled, but got shorter spring seasons that are probably going to be the final seasons for both of those shows. So definitely happy we were getting a little bit more of those. Um, so so we got to know, uh, every May, it's ritual for major TV networks to announce their new schedules to advertisers at the New York-based Upfront events. Now, the 2018-2019 programming lineups have generally been decided – Will decided, then changed, as with Brooklyn Nine-Nine getting canceled by Fox, then picked up by NBC. Fans are happy to see favorite shows returning in the fall and mourning others that got the heave-ho. The cancellation news, in particular, is always a mixed bag. It's sad sad to see that shows get axed, especially ones that had promised they never quite lived up to, as with ABC's The Crossing, a lost-like mystery set in a fictional Oregon coastal town. It came and went so fast, it's hard to guess how the show might have developed if given more time. Others hung in here uh, long enough that, though they never became big hits, they earned a following devoted enough to mount campaigns to save them. Just ask the fans waiting, waging a hashtag Save Lucifer social media protest and petition drive to try and rescue Lucifer. The series about a charming devil who really is the devil who's helping solve crimes in Los Angeles. No wonder fans are trying to make their voices heard. Viewer outcry may have been a part of the reason why Fox picked up Tim Allen's Last Man Standing, which is coming back a year after ABC canceled it. Well, that and the fact that the successful Roseanne revival showed viewers will flock to sitcoms about outspoken characters with some political conservative views. With so many shows reaching viewers in so many ways, broadcast TV, cable streaming service, and other cord-cutting methods, it can be tough to sample shows, let alone try and keep up with them. Among the crowd here are some of the canceled shows we saw enough of to miss and others we're not going to sorry to see go note as of this writing NBC still has decided whether to cancel renew, timeless, a new timeless or particularly favorite of mine that was canceled then renewed last year if NBC pulls the plug for good on this show which was even better in its second season than its first then this would really be a heartbreaker and this isn't me talking as Andrew Bore of the poor this is from uh Christy Turnquist of the of Oregon live which I'm guessing is an Oregon newspaper but it had the most information so that's why I'm talking about it here Heartbreakers ten shows will miss. Ash vs. Evil Ted, which is Evil Dead, sorry. Uh which is a star show, and its three seasons of the goofy, gory spin-off of the hit Evil Dead movie franchise kept the crazy blood splattered spirit of the horror film and uh brought star Bruce Campbell back as the lovable blowhard hero, battling demons and other deadly supernatural forces. This wasn't the greatest show in the history of the world, but at least it didn't take itself too seriously and quality shared by campbell and we're not just saying that because he lives in southern oregon a designated survivor uh this one for me personally was definitely hard one i just watched the second season finale and i really wanted more and i liked keefer sutherland as the president and the whole crew around that with cal penn and uh oh atalia something i always forget her last name um, Doesn't Survivor talked about a troubled presidency The political drama starring Kiefer Sutherland As POTUS had been a revolving door of showrunners And even once ABC announced It was cancelled for two seasons There's more turmoil with rumors that the series May find a home elsewhere Disney Survivor started strong and ran into problems But there's much talent involved It would be good to see the show get another chance Or we can sniff a little and wave goodbye If this is truly the end of the term uh, Everything Sucks on Netflix. Here's another appealing series that prompted fan protests and petition drives when Netflix canceled after just one season. The 90s set high school comedy was set in Boring, Oregon and filmed in Oregon City and Portland. It was an underdog comedy drama about a group of high school underdogs. It's a shame the class won't get to graduate to season two. Uh, great news, which I personally have watched, I think, one episode of. It just really wasn't my thing. It was an NBC show. There's some weak spots in the cast, but this workplace comedy about the crew at a cable TV news show had energy and a fast pace. As you expect from a series co-created by Tina Fey, and any chance to see Andrea Martin is a treat. Um, it definitely just didn't compare to uh, the newsroom that HBO showed. I mean, it was just the comedy version of that, but it just it didn't do a lot for me uh kevin probably saves the world it was an abc show he's one of those freshman series that i watched early on then moved away from but i've since heard enough good things and how it evolved that i wish it would come back for a second season just so i could really watch the darn thing uh the last man on earth which i personally haven't really seen much of it did look interesting um will forte was kind of a an interesting character role in it um it was on fox uh, how often do you get an apocalypse comedy that's the reason enough to wish Will Forte's idiosyncratic show would live on for a fifth season, but it's not happening. I'm surprised it had four seasons, personally. Uh the Librarians. Um Yeah, these were kinda getting bored to talk about. Uh Librarians. Uh Lucifer, definitely a show I loved. Um, hopefully it gets a season four somewhere, but I might be done, so We'll kind of see what happens there. The Mayor, a show I wanted to like. I watched all the episodes that it had before it was pulled from the schedule. Uh, This is just me talking. I'm not longer reading from this article. It just got a little boring for me to read. Um, It was about uh, a 20-something kid who runs for mayor um, to kind of be an outspoken person, really just to push his rap career. Then he wins and now has has no political experience and tries to run the thing. And he had uh brandon michael hall and leah michelle and yvette nicole brown led the show but it got pulled from the schedule after winter and didn't come back so actually david spade is this a, uh, a recurring character which i thought was pretty funny uh the path which was the show with uh, aaron paul from breaking bad it was this show we did on hulu after breaking bad ended it just looked weird i never got into it i have hulu and it just was never on my list to watch uh the brave an n b c military show uh disjointed the uh show about kathy Bates where she runs a uh like a pot farm or a dispensary looked funny just never really got into it um here and now which is an h b o show filmed in portland series a uh, drama starring Tim Robbins and Holly Hunter it may have been created by HBO star Alan Ball, uh, Six Feet Under and True Blood. Uh, never heard of the show, to be totally honest. Uh, I Love Dick, which is an Amazon show. Um, never really heard of that. It starred Katherine Hahn and Kevin Bacon and Griffin Dunn. So, not a bad cast, but yeah, just never heard of the show before uh kevin can wait which is a show i actually watched a bit of in the first season and then i heard all the turmoil in the second season it was like i'm never going to watch the show anymore kevin Can Wait was that show about kevin james who uh had children and then retired from being a police officer and then had just kind of some odd jobs and then in the second season uh they brought back his wife from king of queens leah remini to replace his wife so they killed off his existing wife and it just it got messy and yeah uh, what she said here. Uh, considering Kevin James was a CBS staple when starring an earlier sitcom, King of Queens, it was a bit surprising the network canceled James' newer show after only two seasons. May exactly Zephas took into account viewer backlash when the wife of James' character in season one was unceremoniously killed off for season two so they could reunite James with his King of Queens co-star, Leah Remini. In many cases, it's not a great loss for to see this routine comedy go bye-bye. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, living biblically... Uh, JR Ferguson, I loved him on Mad Men, um, so I was hoping he would get another show, but didn't really work out. Uh, Marvels and Humans, which you'll remember, uh, Nate and I did a JIC special about it, or maybe it was a Patreon exclusive, uh, which you can actually get to for $3 at patreon.com slash Journey Into uh, Comics um, to talk about Nate and I's thoughts on that. But. We figured it was going to get canceled, so it got canceled, and we're not surprised. Me, Myself, and I was actually a pretty funny show. It, it had Bobby Moynihan and uh, John Larroquette playing two ages of the same guy, and plus there was the 14-year-old version who played by one of the kids from It, uh, the new movie from the Stephen King book. I forget the kid's name, but uh, it was kind of interesting story because it had three separate stories that were all tied to the same type of event, um it was kind of entertaining it was just a very new style of show but unfortunately it didn't really work out kind of was hoping for a full season for it but unfortunately no 9jkl which is probably the worst title of a tv show which is about a guy who lives in a new york apartment between like his brother and his parents or something like that it just never looked interesting for me when i saw it for pilot season quantico uh which stars uh priyanka chopra uh a former bollywood star who did a show about the quantico and the fbi and all that watched the first episode few episodes of the first season um but i think the third season just mi- i don't know it just got weird for me i didn't follow it uh valor of cw show, another military show which didn't get picked up uh for another season white famous which is a showtime show starring jay farrow formerly of snl uh never knew about it but i don't have showtime or premium cable really uh Wizard of the crowd is a show i actually really liked um it had a very unique story about kind of similar to the uh the book the circle which i would really recommend um basically it's like crowdsourcing so people using social media to try and find killers and solve crimes and but there was issues with Jeremy Piven and sexual misconduct that caused them to not pick up the show beyond the 13 episodes it originally ordered. So once it announced that, I just stopped watching the remaining episodes of the show because I wasn't going to get committed to a show that was just going to end a few episodes early and just leave me hanging like that. So really, that's uh, the shows that got canceled. Um Um, So, yeah, I told you that Gotham, Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D., and The Blacklist got picked up for probably one last season. So, I'm definitely excited for that. And some shows I liked got canceled. But, yeah, really got to see what the new shows bring out as we get some more pilots. Um, All the CW shows I liked that we've talked about on JIC and other shows got picked up again. So, that's good. They're also going to do Batwoman, which will be pretty interesting. They announced at the upfronts that Gotham City and Batwoman will be appeared at their big crossover event so that'll be kind of entertaining uh they've mentioned gotham related activities so it'll be interesting to see if it's um supergirl's earth or if it'll be the regular earth in the cw verse so we'll kind of see if that shakes out um some kind of stupid shows coming that i can't really see the pilot but i don't know how much staying power like there's a show about kind of seems very lost lost like um plays into the sky and has some turbulence and then when they land it finds out five and a half years have passed so it's just them getting back to their lives after that so that seems weird too so kind of see all this shakes out but i think that's enough of me talking for one episode and if you have two episodes to deal with me uh i probably should wrap this up so you can find me on all the social medias at the poor rapport um, you can find all the other shows on the network At journeyintocomics.com You can find us on uh, services I don't use a lot of the mobile ones The only one I use is CastBox Which I highly recommend All the podcasts I regularly listen to are on there Like I said before You can find uh, our shows involving some Patreon exclusive content At patreon.com slash journeyintocomics You can pay a buck for early access Or $3 gets you Our Patreon exclusive shows You can listen to, you can back listen to The Road to Infinity War Uh, You can just catch up on some stuff. I know we're having some new shows rolling out. And if you listen to Nate's uh, The Podfather's uh, State of the Network, I had some talk about um, some shows coming to that as well. But uh, I think that's it for the poor report for this week or for this episode, which you can just jump over to 39 or you've already listened to 38. I don't know how this is going to work out, but... Listen to my Nikola Tesla profile series, which you can listen to before or after this in the whole timey-wimey world of podcasting that we live in. But, yes, that's poor for this week. I'm Andrew Poor. Have a great week, and just keep seeking out news wherever you can find it.